Blog Talk Radio. everybody and welcome to the Women of Golf show. I'm Ted Odorico and right alongside uh, each and every week with me is of course my good friend and Legends Tour player and LPGA professional Cindy Miller and we are the hosts of the Women of Golf show and we want to welcome you this morning. Good morning Cindy. Good morning Ted. It's a beautiful um, day in Buffalo, New York. The sun is out. <laughs> and the, hopefully the snow is melting. Um, equally as beautiful down here in Florida and uh, we're very excited that you're joining us uh, this morning here on the Women of Golf Show. We love bringing this to you each and every week. And, uh, Cindy, before we get started, of course, let me just remind the, the good folks how they can tune in uh, for those that may be uh, coming a little bit later. Uh, as I said, we're, it's a live broadcast every Tuesday mornings from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, unless, of course, uh, we advise you otherwise. But uh, best place to find us is go to blogtalkradio.com and type in Women of Golf, and that will take you to uh, the main page. And, of course, the live broadcast is always at the top of the page. But for some reason, if you can't join us, just go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash Women of Golf or just type Women of Golf in, in the search key, as I said, and that will take you again to that page. And then just scroll down a little bit on the page uh, underneath the on-demand section, and that ha- will have all of the previously aired uh, live broadcasts uh, in their entirety. And it always goes to the most current at the top of the selection. So uh, if you miss us today on the live broadcast, not to worry, you can still check us out uh, when it's convenient for you. Uh, you can also uh, find us uh, through the podcast section at iTunes.com. Just go to iTunes.com. Again, type in uh, in the search key for podcast, type in Women of Golf, and that will take you, and you can uh, listen through uh, that uh, venue as well. Uh, or you can certainly call us uh, here live on the broadcast at area code 347 945 We would love to hear from you. Uh, you're always welcome to join in the conversation. And uh, if you want to uh, reach out another way, uh, here's two other great ways you can reach out. Uh, you can reach out to Cindy at Cindy at CindyMillerGolf.com, uh, or you can reach out to me at Ted.GolfTalkLive at gmail.com. And uh, we would love to hear from you. Any comments or, or uh, even some critiques, if you will, of, of things that you would like to see differently on the show or maybe some guests that you haven't heard before that you think would be kind of uh, fun and interesting to, to hear. Um, some of their uh, input into the game, uh, we'll do our best to reach out and invite them on the show as well. But in the meantime, again, welcome to the show. Uh, we got a great show actually this morning. We're going to talk about a little bit um, for the first half of the show, a little bit about celebrating the golf professional, and I'll tell you about that in a little bit uh, in a minute. Uh, and then a little bit later on, we're going to be uh, joined by PGA Master Professional Instruction and uh, LPGA Class A member Allison Kurt, who uh, has been with me many, many times on uh, my other broadcast, Golf Talk Live, but this is the first time uh, that she's been on the Women of Golf, so we're very excited to, to have her joining us in the second half of the show. Um, Cindy, one of the things I wanted for us to, to talk about this morning, and uh, this is really sort of a, a um, not really a self-interest, but just sort of a self-examination of, of our careers and some of the things, some of the highlights, if you will. And uh, so I wanted for, for really for us to cele- celebrate not just ourselves, but uh, our fellow golf professionals out there. And I, I'm going to start with you, and I'll certainly, you know, throw my input there as well. But um, was there a turning point as a professional um, for you, and, and has there been a defining moment in your career that you decided everything has sort of come together? Was there a turning point that, that you know, earlier on in your life that you said, okay, this is what I want to do, here's why I want to do it, and was there anything that you can recall that specifically um, when you felt everything was sort of coming together and say, aha, yeah, I get it, and uh, I'm doing great, and, and I'm happy that I'm able to help so many people? Mm, a couple different things. So, I decided I wanted to play on the LPGA Tour when I saw Laura Baugh and the LPGA at an event 
in western New York at Grand Island, New York. So that was a major decision when I was 17. I saw how good they were. I saw the gorgeous golf bags, their brand new shoes, their outfits, the sound <laughs> of the ball when it hit the, you know, the face of the club hit the ball. I was I was in love. So that was one turning point. Um and that was probably the most distinctive one. I was like, holy cow, this is what I want to do. This is just take me out to the ball game. Let's go. How about you? <laughs> um, you know, for me, I think there, there's two as well. Um, very early on when I first sort of got into the, to the business, you know, you're never really sure how it's going to work. You're, you know, you're kind of at the same thing. You're excited and uh, enthusiastic. And I remember one time, which was kind of interesting, um, my first unofficial clinic was really not a clinic at all. It was kind of amusing. I, I used to practice, uh, of course, for those of you who are not familiar uh, with my story, I'm originally from Canada and uh, came down here to the States uh, a number of years back and, and to pursue uh, golf a little bit more diligently just because I was, you know, couldn't play six months of the year. But um, I was at a range back home and very early on as, as being a, a, a teacher professional, and I was just sort of hitting balls. I wasn't doing any lessons or anything. And I knew the gentleman that was a teaching uh, pro at that particular facility. And uh, he and I had a good relationship. And he happened to be giving a lesson to a group. So here I am hitting ball after ball and, and just, you know, having a good time and, and really in, and getting into it, not really paying attention. And the next thing, you know, I turn around and he had his entire group, which there were six of them that were standing behind. And he was giving a clinic using me as um, I guess the guinea pig, if you will. And I had no idea that they had moved in behind me. And of course they were watching me and he was very quietly, of course, talking about certain things that, that he saw in my swing and that he really liked and, and that they could sort of emulate from. And it kind of resonated with me because I thought, okay, obviously I must be doing something right for a fellow professional to do that. Um, and it was unsolicited and it seems kind of an odd comparison, but it sort of, reaffirmed what I believed that I knew I had something to give. And uh, it, it was just a great, uh, a great moment for me as a young person to, to be recognized without really actually have given very many lessons at that point. So that was kind of a turning point that, that made me decide, okay, this is really what I want to do. Um, and the other one, of course, believe it or not, fast forward many, many years later was when we started not only this show here, but I also started Golf Talk Live. I wanted to do something that I felt would help other people. I've always wanted to do that my whole life. And this is why I'm so very passionate, Cindy, about the show that we, you and I do together and uh, as well as uh, my other show, uh, Thursday evening. So those are things that I think have, have really said to me, you know, this is why I want to do what I do. I, I enjoy giving back to other people. That's, that's the short, believe it or not, that's the short version. Um, help me, if you will, um, Cindy, remember... Uh, maybe some of the best moments as a professional. What were, were there some key moments that stuck out to you, um, you know, stories or, or circumstances, not just as a teaching professional, but maybe even as a player uh, out on the LPGA and, and of course, the, now the Legends Tour that maybe stick into mind that, that were memorable for you? Um, winning the uh, NCAA championships in Hawaii, um, so personally, I was always, I was a walk-on at the University of Miami. I wasn't good enough. I've never, I've always had to fight for everything I have. Uh, and I'm grateful for everything that I have. And I had to, um, try to fight for the top five spots on the golf team at the University of Miami. And my dad was sick and, mm. um, the Nationals were going to be in Hawaii, and he did not know whether I was chosen. And I came home. We got to come home from school for like a week and a half before we had to fly out to Hawaii. And he had had an aneurysm, and when I came home, he was in a coma, and he wasn't yeah. awake. And I, I whispered in his ear that I qualified to go play because he was such a big golfer and just loved the fact that I played. And I, right. I kind of want to pretend that I felt him grab my hand. 
and mm-hmm. and squeeze it a little bit, and he died the next day, and we ended wow. up winning the NCAA championship. Now I played like a dog, and I only counted one of the days. <laughs> um, right. But it didn't matter because I had qualified to go, and he he knew I I believe that he knew that I won the fight, and um, and it's funny because he said to me when I went there, he goes, "You can play this year, but if you don't get a scholarship, we can't afford you to go back." And I ended up on a full ride my last three years, and ended up the number one player on the team, and we won two NCAA championships, and I was an All American my senior year. So, I mean. For me, it's always fighting for what you want. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, let me just say for the folks that are tuning in, let me tell you something that I've learned uh, and admire about you, Cindy, just from the many conversations that we've had on the show and and uh, a few that we've had outside of the show. Um, one of the things that that strikes me as as a major plus for you, win, lose, or draw, is you never ever give up. Um, your passion carries you. You know, I remember earlier on in some of the broadcasts, you know, you talked about how sometimes, you know, you'd get down because you just weren't playing at your best and, you know, maybe sometimes felt that it, it wasn't, uh, not that it wasn't worth it, but, you know, were you really doing what, what you wanted to do? I don't mean as a teacher professional, but as a player, you just weren't hitting the, the high notes maybe at times uh, that you wanted to. Um, but what was very interesting is that in the same breath, Cindy, is that you came right back in the very next sentence and said, you know what, um, I'm going to do whatever it is that I have to do um, to improve myself. And even if you didn't fully accomplish everything, uh, you know, at some point down the road that you wanted to do, you never gave up trying. And that's really, I guess, a lesson that we want the listeners that, that are out there maybe struggling with their game that they can really pick up from you. Um, all kinds of wonderful lessons I'm sure that you give out there, but that's, in my opinion, one of the best lessons I think that you could ever give your students, Cindy, is just the passion and the drive and the determination to never give up on yourself, no matter um, what obstacles you may face. So I, I admire and I applaud you for that, Cindy Miller. Well, thank you. That's nice. And you know what's yeah. funny? Because we're leaving for boot camp on Thursday, and we're going to do two different boot camps, one's for kids and one's for adults. And I admire people who continue to try, even though they may not see the end result. Because I don't, I'm not one that's going to blow smoke up your fanny to tell you that you can do or be or have something that you really can't do or be or have. Mm -hmm. And I, I admire someone for trying to be the best that they can be. And I'm right. not the one to judge how good that is. I have no idea. You know, mm-hmm. so I believe that if you choose to play, you have to try to win, whatever winning right. is for you. Right, exactly. Um, and, and, and that's the, the, that's the point. You know, what, what a lot of people, I think, uh, and I've learned this, you know, I'm, I'm going to be next month, I'm going to be 53 years old, so I'm, you know, creeping up the, the ladder a little bit more each year, of course. Um, but something that I've learned um, throughout my journey in life is, you know, you're going to have failures no matter what you do. Um, but the key is whether or not you learn from those failures, you're going to have some successes, of course, which are great, but they're going to be farther and few between. And I don't care how good you are in this game. Uh, even the best of the best have more failures than they do successes, but it's how they turn those failures, um, into a learning opportunity. And, Cindy, I think more so than, than a lot of people I've ever known, you've done just that. Um, and, again, it's not a matter of counting how many W's. Uh, and what I mean by that is on, necessarily on the golf course, but wins in life. You know, you've learned something from all of the failures that you've had along the way, and it's helped you to not only help yourself in different areas that, that you want to, to um, improve upon, but you've also been able to sort of parlay that to your students and, and let them benefit from your experience. And there's no greater gift that you could give your students than to share those experiences. It, it, you know, it's very easy, um, you know, as a professional, if, if everything was perfect and everything was great, um, but it's very difficult to relate to students if you've never had failures yourself. I don't know anybody that hasn't, but, you know, if you were perfect all the time. So that in itself um, is, a, is a winning uh, is winning success, if you will, is knowing how to turn those failures in successes and, and learning opportunities. And you've done that extremely well, Cindy. 
Well, thank you. That's nice. And and by the way, happy happy Valentine's Day, by the way, um, to all of thank you out you, there. Thank you to everybody you, out to, there. To you as well, Cindy. Um, all right. Students that, that you felt benefited greatly from what you did, were there some examples that that they really got it and really understood what it was you were trying to explain or, or, or show them? Um, maybe share a story or two if you have one, Cindy, that, uh, you know, where, where you felt that they really, you know, hit the mark. Uh, there's I a know lot you have them. many. I know. Well, well this, there really um, is. I, I think that what we have to do as teachers is, is understand our students and understand how they learn and understand right. their personalities, and then we have to give them different ways to accomplish the task that we're trying to get them to do. And and when they turn around and look at you like, oh, you know, a delayed intelligence attack maybe. Um, yep. <laughs> but it's But it's awesome because you know that you've gotten through to them. Right. I, and I think that I think that one of the biggest lessons maybe is that um, people need to realize that the ball doesn't move until the club swings, and mm-hmm. the only one controlling the club is you. So if you know what to do with the club, you can make the ball go where you want it to go. And I think a lot of people try to hit the ball, and the ball wins because they don't know how to swing the club, if any of that made sense. It it exactly does. You know, I, I want to just add something, Cindy, you know, and, and this really goes out to all of the, the uh, our fellow professionals out there that might be tuning into the show either here live or, or maybe at some later point. Uh, I, I firmly believe the greatest gift that you can give your students is not um, swing mechanics or swing theories or how to play, how to play the game, but to listen, um, to listen with with um intent and to listen with um your undivided attention because a lot of times i think as human beings you know we we want to you know we we hear something momentarily and we want to just jump in with with what we feel is the best solution without really understanding and it just goes to what you just pointed out you know we need to understand how that student is going to learn and be able to receive the messages that were because that's really what it is it's a message that we're um, transmitting to that student in, in whatever form it may be. And we have to find the best way to do that because not everybody, as we know, Cindy, learns the same way. And I think the best gift as, as a professional is to be able to listen intently to our students so that we understand what it is that they want um, out of this experience and how we can best help them. Um, because more often than not, if you truly listen to your students, they'll tell you exactly what it is they need and what they want. Uh, as opposed to us sort of second guessing and just you know jumping to conclusions and assuming that we know what they need or what they want, so that would, in my opinion, would be the best benefit that we could we could give our students. And I'm just going to share very quickly um, a, a student that um, I had. Uh, her name was Emily, many many years ago, and I was working with her, and she had uh, some challenges. Um, she uh, had some physical disabilities. And it was not very, very easy for her to, to pick up this game. Um, but I managed through the course of, of uh, a few seasons, seasons excuse me, uh, putting a smile on her face because, number one, as I just pointed out, I listened to, to what she had to say. Um, but I made the game fun for her. She was never going to um, you know, strive to be the best golfer in the world, and that was, certainly was not her intent. Um, but she just wanted to be able to feel part of um, society and be able to feel that she was – um, like everybody else. And we started, of course, on the putting green because that was the easiest place to start and that was the best place to start. And we kind of worked backwards. And, you know, she couldn't hit it very far and she wasn't always straight, um, but she had a lot of uh, enjoyment and a lot of fun from the game. And so I felt that, you know, I was able to, to benefit greatly from, from uh, or she was rather able to benefit greatly from, from what it was I was able to do. And, and it goes back to what I said earlier, Cindy, is, you know, my goal in life is to do what I can to help others, not only from my own experience, uh, but other experiences that I have the honor of, of sharing with, with people like yourself and, and other professionals. And golf just happens to be the vessel that I choose to, 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 uh, to exercise that. Um, and that would well, be that's my... awesome. 
my benefit. And, and uh, uh, I don't know whatever happened to her. I'm not sure if she's still with us. I hopefully she is, but and, and still out there giving it her best. But she was a, a sweet young girl and and just had uh, you know came to the, the course all the time and just had a, a, a smile on her face and and much enthusiasm. And I've seen some grumpy old men come to the golf course that didn't have as much enthusiasm as she did. So kudos uh, to you, Emily. Um, now, what about students that maybe just didn't get it? I mean, we've all had those, Cindy, uh, even the best of us out there that just didn't get it. Um, for some reason, didn't matter what we do, how we approach it, they just it didn't resonate with them. Um, I know we both have had those, I'm sure. Um, what do you think yourself, from, from your experiences, maybe could you have done differently, if anything, in, in hindsight now? I don't believe that that's... I believe that if they really want to be there and they are very open to learning and I'm paying attention, I believe I can help them. Now, they mm-hmm. may have unrealistic goals and want to hit it farther than they are able or shoot better. You know, the, not everybody's going to play on the tour. But I believe that everyone can get better. Um, the ones who don't really want to be there are the ones that aren't going to get it. Right. That's my opinion. Right. That's, I, I, I believe everybody can get better at something. You know, and we may not be able to help them, you know, hit it 250 yards, but we can definitely help them hit it straighter. So Mm -hmm. my belief is that if they want to be there and they are open to learning, that we can help them do something better, no matter what. Right. And and I agree wholeheartedly. I think that, um, you know, uh, uh, there's a lot of pressure, I think, and and this is one of the reasons why I really kind of wanted to um, sort of celebrate the golf professional this morning, Cindy, was, you know, I think sometimes we hear this now, especially with social media, there's just so much, you know, instant feedback and and conversations going on. And I think there's a little bit of unfairness towards the the golf professional and unrealistic uh, expectations sometimes. You know, we're all human. We, you know, we all, um, you know, some of us have been given a gift, if you will, to to be able to teach and to be able to um, articulate certain things. Um, But we're not miracle workers. And it takes you know, in every, like in any relationship, it takes two. And, you know, as you just pointed out, Cindy, you know, you can do all of the things that, that you know, uh, that God has given you in, in that gift and talent, but that person, if they're not receptive or if they're not um, really focusing on, on the tasks at hand, sometimes they're just not going to get it. And I think that more often than not, um, you know, the, the, the easiest solution for them rather than sort of looking, internalizing at themselves and say, what could I do better to get the most out of this lesson or to, to benefit from this lesson? It's just, well, maybe that's not a very good pro. I need to go somewhere else. And quite often we get the brunt of, of, um, of that dis- disgruntlement and it's not always the case. Now, I'm not saying there aren't some situations that that's warranted, but um, more often than not, it's, um, it's usually the this, this student, <coughs> pardon me, I thought I had to sneeze, um, you know, the students just not really um, making a commitment. You know, we make the commitment of oh, coming well, out each and every day. Sorry, go ahead. You know what? I Now I understand what you mean. So I must tell you that um, <laughs> we, have a, we have a joke, a running joke in our house of <laughs> a student, because we teach at a facility where there's a lot of different teachers. So if, if a student leaves me and goes somewhere else, I'm going to see it. Right, because right. in the winter time, because there's a captive audience and there's only a few places to go, and so mm-hmm. I have had a lot of students leave me, and most of them have been when I say, "Okay, the ball is going here because you are doing this, this, and this," and they don't believe that. So I, people that leave me that go somewhere else in my opinion, aren't willing to look in the mirror to understand why the ball does what it does. So there's fact and there's opinion, and the ball is a fact. Now, why it went there, you may think is an opinion, but the fact is the ball goes where it goes because of what you did with the club. So Mm -hmm. I believe that some people, um, let me back it up this way too and say, if I am truly open and vulnerable and teachable and really want to get better, I have to have the courage to look in the mirror. 
mm-hmm. and then I can discern the difference whether this is truth or false. And if it's true, do I have the courage to fix it? And not everyone mm-hmm. does. And that would go back no. to well the motivation or the goal of the student. So not everyone wants to change everything about their game and their life. Some people just want to have fun. Right. And, and that's the key thing. You know, this is where, where the, going back to what I said earlier about listening, uh, is critical. Because, you know, if, if we assume that everybody wants to be the next, uh, you know, Annika Sorenstam or Tiger Woods or Brooke Henderson or, or Rory McIlroy, um, you know, that's not the case. You know, sure, you know, many of us would love to be able to play at that level. Um, but at the same time, most of the people I think that get into golf just want to go out and have fun. They want to be able to, um, you know, not embarrass themselves on the golf course, um, you know, be able to play with with some consistency. And, um, you know, they are, they do understand that they're going to hit some bad shots. Um, they just want to hit fewer of them. You know, one thing I did, Cindy, and it's probably taboo in the golf industry, but what I did years ago is I had a student, his name was Roger, he was an executive, and uh, he, he had a little bit of cockiness and arrogance about him at the time, and it got to the point where really there was nothing left at that, that point. Obviously, you know, by today's standards, that would be different, but at that time, um, you know, there was really nothing else that I could teach him, and so I said to him at the end of, of this particular lesson, I said, well, Roger, I said, you know, thank you for, you know, for um, sticking with me and, and hopefully you've learned something. But I said, there's really nothing else I can teach you. And he was kind of shocked and dumbfounded because he'd gotten so used to coming to, you know, these lessons. But the message I was trying to relate to him was that, it, without really insulting him, was his unwillingness to really focus on <laughs> what he needed to do I wanted to send a message, and it was true. There was really nothing else. Like, I mean, I could say the same things a thousand times over, but if he wasn't willing to do his due diligence, he was never going to improve in the areas um, you know, that he needed to. And what was funny, he, he sort of – and then, of course, you know, I shook his hand, and, and we, we parted ways. And about two hours later, after I'm sure pondering what I said to him – and I, there was more I said to him, but uh, it, was a, it was a good conversation. But he called me back, and he said, same time next week. And I said, I thought for a minute, and I waited, and I hemmed and hawed, and I could, I, could, I could sense his anxiety on the other end because he didn't know what to do. Um, you know, he, he enjoyed working with me in that, but he just had a, an approach to things, uh, I guess maybe because of his job. He was a bank executive, and he was, you know, aggressive in his job, um, but he just didn't know how to handle that situation. And I said to him, okay, and from that point on, just by simply saying, you know, there's nothing else I can teach you and sort of walking away or potentially walking away, it sent the message, and of course it was received, that he needed to put more of an effort in on his part. And from that point on, you know, our lessons, uh, you know, went in a different path. So, um, you know, sometimes you have to be willing to cut the umbilical cord and let them go, um, you know, if if you feel that they're not, uh, as you pointed out, Cindy, if they're not really... Um, focusing on the tasks at hand. Um, great conversation. I enjoyed that. It was interesting to, to kind of get uh, our perspective on things, um, you know, what we look for and, and, uh, and just some uh, shared stories of, of what we've done uh, over our careers. And we'll do that again sometime uh, in a little bit more depth. But um, in the meantime, let's uh, bring on our very special guest this morning, Allison Kurt. Uh, as I mentioned, she's a PGA uh, Master Professional Instruction and an LPGA uh, class A member, and her teaching philosophy, uh, Cindy, is a student-centered approach, allowing her to use her vast uh, approach of uh, modalities to help students uh, reach their goals. And she's extremely well-versed in video analysis, club fitting, uh, golf fitness, and, of course, the mental side of the game. And here's just a few of her accolades. She's a TPI certified. Uh, she was Golf uh, Digest Best Young Instructor in America uh, for 2016 and 17. Uh, she was a 2016 uh, Southern California PGA Teacher of the Year. And she's also, Cindy, earned her Master's uh, of Arts degree in clinical psychology, uh, sorry, yes, psychology with an emphasis in marriage and family therapy uh, at Pepperdine University. She's a practicing uh, psychotherapist in the state of California and works with clients at the Curt uh, Performance Therapy in, San, in the San Fernando Valley. Uh, and she's currently earning... Uh, I believe she's earning her doctorate of psychology uh, from California Southern University, uh, of course, emphasizing in sports psychology. So let's 
Uh, lots of great accolades there. So, Cindy, let's uh, welcome our very special guest this morning, Allison Kurt. Good morning. Good morning, Cindy and Ted. How are you? We're doing um, great. Thanks we're for doing getting great. up so early. <laughs> You're welcome. That's right. You're welcome. Happy, <laughs> happy Valentine's Day to both of you. Yeah. Happy Valentine's Day. you too, my dear. Um. Yeah, I forgot. Actually, uh, I wasn't thinking about this when uh, when you were booked for the show, Allison. I forgot you're on the West Coast, so you're a few hours behind us. But so thank you, as Cindy said, for for joining us this morning. Um, and for those welcome. of you who don't know, I've met. Yeah, I've mentioned before. Of course, Allison, you've been on uh, the other show, Golf Talk Live, many times, and you're coming back this year, uh, not only as a guest but also on uh, the Coach's Corner panel uh, for some discussions throughout the year. And always uh, glad to have you participate in that. Um, I wanted to I wanted to talk about some things with you today, uh, as Cindy and I um, like to obviously, as you do, help the folks out there. So here's some things that we're going to talk about here to, uh, this morning, Allison. Um, what are, in your opinion, are some of the areas that in the short game that you consider um, most important, and how do you try to help your students really focus in on those? I think a lot of students don't even focus on the short game in terms of how to include it in their practice. So they know it's important, they hear it's important, they hear the data, the um, statistics about quickest way to lower your game, but then when you actually look at who's practicing where on, on the practice facility, for me I observe way more people on the full swing range. And so one of the biggest issues that I see is just how to change that paradigm in their mind. But if they know it's important, then how to actually make the move to go and practice. And then once they get into that practice mode, how and what does practice even look like? Uh, is it knocking a few putts around? Is it actually creating um, a bit more of a plan for chipping versus pitching versus flop shots versus sand shots? There's so much um, variability in the short game. And to practice all of it in one day would take a considerable amount of time. So chunking out a little right. bit of, of pieces, I don't think students really grasp that concept of I need to practice it, even though I know <clears throat> I should, and then how to actually <clears throat> practice. Well said. Um, what, do you, what do you think as far as the time that we allot? Now, obviously, it varies from person to person depending on their schedule. But to really improve, to see noticeable improvement, how much time do you think – um, be, whether it be before a round or even during a practice session, should people allot to working on their short game? How much of their, their practice time should they be allotting to their short game as opposed to um, other areas of their game? Well, I know there's some, there's some good data out there about percentages and, and how many shots we actually hit in the short game versus you know, 14 drives or approximately 36 putts and give or take. But and, and chunking out the time for an individual, I would say more than more than 50%. So if someone's going to have an hour's worth of time to practice, either before a round or just as a, a strictly practice session, then 30 to 40 minutes of short game would be, uh, in my opinion, a recommendation. Because when you're looking at, if you break out how many times you're using each tool in your bag, the driver being a tool, five iron being a tool, putter being a tool, it's really interesting when you have students track how many times on their home golf course they actually use each tool. And if they're playing their golf course two, three times a week, they start to notice, oh, I only use this three wood once. Then why should I be spending 30 golf balls trying to get this three wood to go straight? But, gosh, I'm looking at this putter and I'm hitting it 36 to 40 times. You know, why shouldn't I be practicing that a little bit more? So in my opinion, I would say it's 50% or more should be working on the short game, but having students start to see from their own game how often they're using each tool by using some sort of tracking method, I think would really start to, to open up their eyes a little bit um, to, to gauge their practice and, and to um, fine-tune what particular areas they need to do within that 50 to 60% of their time. Well said. Um, Cindy, I know you've got some questions as well. Well, I'm intrigued by um, your commitment to psychology. So tell me why you started to want to um, or what inspired you to get your degree and to become so well-rounded and have so many different things and ways you can help your students. 
For me, I think it starts with wanting to figure out myself. So on a, on a path of self-discovery, I started to see excuse me, what I needed help with, and then I think once those needs became fulfilled, I felt almost um, a calling for service to be able to offer that to other people. So when I was a, a junior golfer, sports psychology was, was starting to be talked about, but not a lot. I mean, I was exposed to some of Dr. Bob Rotella's books when I was a senior in high school, and um, my parents were kind of like, you know, hey, you should start to read these and, you know, learn about visualization and, and some of these sports psychology concepts. And then I wasn't really exposed to it again until we had a sports psychologist graduate student in college work with our team, and it was on a volunteer basis. So half of the girls wanted to work with them, and, and the other half um, felt like, no, I've got, I've got the skills that I need. So I actually kind of delved into that a little bit, and as, as frustrating as it was to not play good golf as much as I wanted to, it was also pretty frustrating to learn how to improve my sports psychology skills. And it was a really interesting journey to work with this individual at Florida State University where I played golf at. And after college, I kind of felt this, um, this calling to, to understand more. Working with just golf swings, there's only so much I felt like I could do. I've worked with golf tech, so I, I went down the science route where we could measure everything. I taught a lot without using any technology and just my eyes and using the ball flight laws from the PGA teaching manual and then finding my comfortable place where I could bridge a little bit of everything using some technology, using some traditional approaches. And students got just so good. And there was another piece that was missing, what's happening in that person's world. And that was really, really interesting to me. And I was always, ever since I can remember, a why type of person. Um, so even in my own individual golf lessons as a kid, I, I would remember my main instructor, Brian Maine from St. Louis, Missouri, who's a PGA golf professional, would tell me to do something. You know, here's how we're going to hit a draw. Here's how we're going to improve your swing. And in my head, I would just be asking why. Why do I need to do, do this? If, if you can convince me why, that I can jump on board. And that's just sort of my temperament and my, my personality. And so I think that really bridged um, into this place of if I can help students improve their physical mechanics, there's got to be more going on on the inside, and I wonder if they're asking why. And, and how does their personal life, their sport life, interplay with their own development? So I decided to uh, research a couple of graduate schools that offered some clinical psychology programs. And I was working full-time, so I couldn't do anything during the day or full-time. And so I found a program at Pepperdine University where it was evening classes. And so I would work full-time, and then I would go in the evening. And as I started to take these classes and learn more about what kind of issues are people bringing to the tee, and then what can I do as a coach to help either put them in their place in terms of compartmentalize what's important when or to maybe even help them fix some of the root of those issues so that they can play better golf. And it, it ties into our LPGA student-centered uh, model where the student is, is our main focus and whatever they bring with them to the tee, that's what we're going to work with. Well, they're going to bring with them a wealth of their own personal problems as well. And so this program also led to um, a certification for, for licensure, which is marriage and family therapy. And that can sometimes mislead some individuals because they think, well, you're just working with couples and marriages and divorces and people getting along. And marriage and family therapy is really just kind of a fancy word for interpersonal relationships and how you deal with individuals in our world, whether it's um, or, or just relationships in our world, whether it's your relationship with golf, relationship with coaches, relationships with spouses, with children, junior golfers, how to improve relationships overall, and finally, the most important, the relationship with yourself. And so after I finished that graduate program, I was still kind of hungry and thirsty for more and working on um, getting the, the license to, to practice with individuals clinically without having a supervisor. It's a pretty daunting task in California as you have to 
accomplish 3,000 clinical hours before you can sit for your, your board exam. And I was like, well, I must must have my doctorate. Got to keep going, kept, you know, keep moving forward. But this time I want to specialize in clinical psychology, but now I want to get a little bit deeper into sports psychology. So if I have the license to actually help individuals with their their own issues, bringing things to the T, now let's take it a step further and talk about actual sports psychology skills. And so the program that I'm in, I'm over sort of the midway point for my doctorate degree, and, and Ted, you're right, it's at California Southern um, here in Southern California is a, um, a PsyD, a clinical psychology program with an emphasis in sports psychology. So being able to change people's lives, not by just changing their ball flight, but how they feel after they leave the lesson mm-hmm. team or how they feel after working with me um, in the office about what's going on in their life helped me kind of answer the why. And hopefully it's answering their whys as well and allowing them to get better. Well said. Um, Let me just add to that as well, Allison. I think what this also, and correct me, please correct me if I'm wrong, this allows you to help, uh, as you said, not just on the lesson T with, with ball striking and ball flight and that sort of thing, but allows you to now be able to help many of your students um, with some of the anxieties that they might face um, both on and off the golf course. Obviously, you're not delving you know, so much necessarily into their, a lot of their personal stuff, but um, a lot of people, as you know, come to the golf course um, with, in some cases, very high anxiety, uh, especially if they're not a very accomplished golfer. So this gives you a little bit of an insight on, on maybe how to better help them prepare emotionally um, for some of the tasks that they may be faced with out on the golf course, correct? Absolutely. With with the sort of basic know-how of sports psychology, I think a, a lot of coaches and teachers will speak to that anxiety, but there's there's a deeper root to it. And I think if we just kind of look at the surface, then we're only going to fix the surface issue. But where uh, I feel that I am beneficial is I get to go a step further and see what's the root right. of that anxiety. And so if there's a, an anxiety about performing on the first tee, is it strictly just about performing on the first tee, or has there been some sort of history in this person's world of failure in front of an audience or uncertainty about themselves in front of an audience? And that might tie into confidence or self-esteem or things that have happened to them um, as a kid or in their past. And so a lot of a lot of ind- individuals do bring anxieties with them to the golf course, but I think there's a lot of different emotional regulation issues and temper Anger and temper and frustration is another big one, just equally as important as anxieties. What happens with that emotion when they start to feel like they're not performing the way that they have expectations to? And can that emotion of anger or frustration continue to derail the rest of the round, or do they have the skills necessary to um, still persevere? So a lot of different emotions um, individuals are bringing to the golf course and to really work at the, the deeper levels versus the surface, I think is really powerful. Yeah. I, I, and, you know, Cindy, this goes to what we talked about earlier um, in our segment about really listening to our students as well, because um, by listening to them, we can, we can draw a, a great insight as to what's going on, not just on the lesson tee, but what's happening. You know, if they've maybe just had a big fight with their spouse before they got to the golf course, um, you know, they're bringing that anxiety with them. And a lot of times people, you know, have an inherent need to, to sort of divulge sometimes very personal information, um, especially to people that they trust. So this is um, what Cindy and I were talking about earlier uh, in our earlier segment about really, you know, listening and understanding uh, the needs of our students. So um, a very, very important issue that you, you bring to light here, Allison. Um, Cindy, I know you have other questions. Go ahead. I would like to know, and I want to congratulate you, by the way, for finishing second in the PGA Club Pro Club Stroke Play Championship and earning a right to play at the KPMG in Chicago. Thank you so much. Very excited for that. Yes. So what I want to know is um, you have already mentioned that you were kind of your own guinea pig and wanting to answer the question why. What has all this education taught you about your own game and how have you overcome some or defeated some personal demons, if you're willing to share? 
Most certainly. Um, I think that all this education has taught me uh, that I really don't know all that much. There is an awful lot of information out there, and it has taught me to start to really become the expert on me. I thought I knew um, my best performance states. I thought I knew my best um, optimal strategies to control myself. But what I really learned and what I can see in hindsight is I was awful at regulating my own emotions on the golf course. And really? Through my, yeah. Can you believe that? <laughs> I don't believe that. <laughs> <No. laughs> <laughs> if if um, I must hide it really well on the outside, but all of this education really taught me better skills, better strategies to deal with the emotion. But the the education in my own personal work. I mean, I've worked with therapists in the fa- in, in the past to kind of do my own self discovery and and work on my own my own issues. That I found better ways to heal some of the wounds that I have carried with me. Um, something that was I was very, very poor at as a junior and a collegiate player was the lesson of letting go. And so taking failures and actually highlighting them more in my memory than being able to repair my emotional attachment to them and move forward. So I actually did my own personal work with an EMDR therapist, and EMDR stands for Eye Movement, desensitization, reprocessing, and it's a therapeutic modality that allows individuals to get past memories of uh, past adversity and past failures. And so post-college, I had quite a history of experiences that I remembered where I didn't perform the way I wanted to, whether it was coming in second at the Missouri State Championship by not playing well on the last hole or leading NCAAs my senior year of college after the first day and then following up with some poor rounds after that, there were some memories that really brought up a lot of emotional turmoil and that would impact my golf moving forward. And so after doing my own work through EMDR, I was able to get past my own past and then heal and then move forward. So I've learned now how to better contain and regulate my own emotional experience so that I can perform better. Um, my mom also told me when I was a kid, very early on when I was competing, which is, which is common for a lot of juniors, is I would hit a shot or something that I didn't like, and I would have an, an external display of emotion, whether I was upset or maybe bang a club on the fairway or shove my club in my bag. And in our family, that kind of display of of motion was not appropriate. And so she said, when you walk off the golf course, I don't want to know whether you just shot 10 under par or whether you just shot 100. And so I took that to heart. Mom, wow. Yeah, Yeah, that's great. What a (laughs) good mom. uh, (laughs) Yeah, very good, very good. Although I think it kind of nipped her in the butt a little bit because then when I would shoot 65, 66, she had no idea. (laughs) <laughs> how I play, but it was being able to compose the outside and, and still be appropriate and then monitor my inside and my own emotional experience better. And so as I kind of continue to learn and, and fill my mind with all the stuff that I, that I don't know and, and realizing that there's so many more things out there um, that can be used to help myself, I continually strive and to improve my skills on how to regulate my emotions. And don't get me wrong, there are still times on the golf course where I feel that kind of burning sensation where, gosh, I am really angry, I'm really upset right now. But then my other part of my brain flips on and says, okay, we've got the toolbox to regulate this, and you've got about 10 seconds to deal with it, and now we've got to hit another shot. So it's been very, very... Um, eye-opening for me to work on my own self. And I think when I look at how I play golf now compared to even when I was in college, um, I'm much wiser. I am much more filled with coping strategies and better able to contain my own internal experience. You know, now, it's interesting that you – Sorry, whatever go ahead. Thing, cause 
Well, you spoke at our national summit, and you mm-hmm. were great, by the way. But Thank tell you. us about the EM. What, you gave us the opportunity to learn more about this, and I did not pay attention. And now I want to. <laughs> <laughs> so EMDR is a, a treatment modality, just like you might hear a therapist who practices cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, or um, existential therapy, or behavioral therapy. So there's different types of modalities that therapists and psychologists can use to help their clients. And so EMDR is just one of those tools. Um, And the only way that you can use EMDR to help other people is if you are a licensed therapist and you are certified through EMDR. So it's important that if anyone wants to use this type of technique for sports performance, that you find someone who's certified um, and who has a license to practice it. But the um, theory behind EMDR is that when we have an emotional um, experience, whether it's some sort of trauma or adversity or even even pleasurable emotional experiences, there are um, different senses that come into play, and that memory is then stored in a part of our brain called the amygdala. And so we have this this emotional memory, not just the picture of what happens, but what it felt like in our body, the thoughts that came up in our mind at that time, and they all link together to create this perfect recipe for a very, very strong memory. And then as we start to live life, because that memory is so strong with all the different senses and different information, we continually become triggered. And so if there's anything that happens in our life that is remotely linked to that memory, we're then sort of re-triggered. So put it into context for you um, in terms of golf. So let's say um, we're at the high school state championship and you're in the lead and you missed the putt on 18 to finish in second place. That's a pretty stark emotional memory. There's probably going to be cognitions of doubt there's probably going to be feelings of maybe shaking and anxiety and then maybe a wealth of emotion with crying or sad or frustration and upset. And then what might follow would be the belief of I'm not a good putter. So now fast forward 10, 15 years and you've got that same golfer who's on the last hole of a really important tournament and they need to make this putt to win. And all of a sudden that last memory from back in high school gets triggered. So they relive that experience and have the same sort of emotional um, sensations of of shaking, I'm not a good putter, feeling it in the body, feeling sad, feeling angry. So it's constantly relived. And and this happens with a multitude of of different events in our lives in in every single person, whether it's disappointment, whether it's someone who who yelled at us, whether it's a – Um, person who maybe created fear in us or someone who hurt our feelings. And we carry these life adversities with us and and little traumas with us, if you will, throughout our life. So what EMDR does, when we move the eyes back and forth, it connects sort of our right and left brain. It's them talking. And then it can unlock this stored trauma from our amygdala. And then the therapist will help you repair and heal that old trauma. So you bring up whatever the issue is. You bring up where you're feeling it in your body. Bring up what thoughts or negative beliefs you have about that that issue. And then through moving the eyes back and forth, you start to desensitize that old trauma. And the end result is being able to look at that trauma and reword it to have more of a positive belief about it. And at the end of the treatment, you can then look back at that memory and it's just a mere picture of something that happened in your life versus this whole negative emotional experience. Now, how that can be used with sport performance is looking at athletic, uh, athletic traumas in the past or athletic failures, if you will, and making sure that they don't interfere with future performances. So sort of cleaning up our history of things that we are not proud of on the golf course or things that have upset us and creating sort of a future template 
for preferred performance. So there's a uh, really helpful use for EMDR with athletes. You know, with athletes, we especially golfers, there's more losses in golf than there are wins. Mm-hmm. And so we're playing a sport where the odds are against us where we're not going to win as many times as we expect to. It's not like basketball where you have a 50-50 chance of winning. Or baseball, you have a 50-50 chance of winning every time you step on the field. Either your team wins or their team wins. But in golf, we might have a, a, a winless season for 10 years before yeah. we actually win a tournament. And that happens on the LPGA Tour and the PGA Tour. And so if we have more losses stored in our memory than we have wins, we need to make sure that we don't have negative emotional attachments to them as well. So it's really tapping into the brain physiology it's using the eyes or some sort of bilateral stimulation, whether it's tapping, um, whether it's uh, using the eyes back and forth, that can help unlock these traumas or these adversities and heal them so that they don't trigger what happens in our present-day life. Wow. Well said. Um, uh, Allison, unfortunately, we've got to wrap it up, but what an interesting topic, and, and I want to have – uh, you join us again um, to talk about this particular subject in, in even more detail when we have some more time, because I think it is very important. There's there's so many, you know, as you pointed out earlier, there's a lot of great things that, uh, you know, we can do with our, our physical game. Um, but if we're carrying sort of some of that emotional baggage along from other areas in our life or even past experiences, uh, it can be very difficult to move forward and and to be able to progress in, in all areas of our life, not just out on the golf course. So it's a, a definitely an important topic to, to have in, in a discussion, and we would love to have you come back again, and we'll talk a little bit more about it um, on that particular program. But uh, in the meantime, Sydney um, and I want to thank you, Allison, for joining us this morning on the Women of Golf Show. We appreciate all that you do uh, on this day that we celebrate not only Valentine's Day, but we celebrate the golf professionals. So Thank you for joining us, Allison, and and please keep up the great work, and and I look forward to having you join me on Golf Talk Live throughout the season. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it, Cindy and Ted, and have a wonderful day. Yeah, me too. Thank you, honey. Have a great day. All righty. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks, Allison. Um, Very great uh, great topic, you know, of discussion uh, this morning, Cindy. I enjoyed that thoroughly. you know, she is a, a, a not only a great uh, teacher, professional, and coach, but um, really has, has, as she talked about, you know, graveled with her uh, emotions over the years and, and decided to pursue that as, as an add-on, if you will, to, to her career. So uh, kudos to her as well. And, uh, you, know, many, you know, many of the points to Cindy, I don't know if you noticed this, but many of the points that she brought up in her discussion were, uh, you know, obviously we did it in a little shorter form, but things that we talked about um, in our earlier discussion. It was amazing. I, I took note of that as we went along, and, and just some things that she mentioned were um, similar to what some of the things we discussed about in our experiences. So, um, again, always, uh, always interesting. You never stop learning in this game. Um, and on that note, uh, we have to say goodbye for this morning, but on behalf of Cindy Miller and myself, uh, we want to thank all of the listeners out there that faithfully tune in each and every week here on the Women of Golf Show, and we hope that you'll come back and join us next Tuesday as we bring you another uh, exciting guest and some more in-depth uh, conversation here on the program. And we hope that you will uh, maybe have a greater appreciation uh, after this morning uh, for your fellow golf professional and also for your teacher or coach that's out there and just um, each other. So thank you again on behalf of Cindy and I um, for, for listening to the show and tuning in each and every week. And we look forward to seeing you back here on the Women of Golf Show next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern. Um, thank you. God bless everybody. And Cindy, thank you always. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. 
But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.